unideal church ideas. Homogeneity is God's plan. Part three of three. This post is part three of three of the series on unideal church ideals. Now, if you didn't read part one and part two, I'd encourage you to check it out. Now, without further ado, here's another unideal church ideal. Number three, it goes a little something like this. God doesn't see race. At the risk of my views being misrepresented, I think it's important to start with a disclaimer. I will wholeheartedly admit, I think most of the argument that I'm about to share with you is speculative. However, I am hoping you'll see how it ties in with the previous arguments in part one and part two of Unideal Church Ideals. Now, I welcome different views because I don't think this is black and white. No pun intended. At various points in the following discussion, I'm going to be using race and nationality interchangeably, but we should also keep in mind they're not. Um, but in this case, either serve to make my point because they both undermine the notion of homogeneity as God's plan for the church. But feel free to let me know if you think otherwise. So that's out the way. Um, I don't think I subscribe to the idea that God doesn't see race. To me, it's one of those statements that sounds really good in theory, but once you think about it a little bit more, it starts to crumble and it doesn't hold as much weight. In some ways, per comments I've made earlier, I think it reinforces a colorless worldview. And I don't think that stands to benefit those in minority groups very much, and that's assuming they benefit at all, which I'm not entirely convinced of. I think about scriptures like Psalm 139, verse 13, right? That talk about God knowing me before I was even born, while I was in my mother's womb. Heck, he even knew me before that. In Matthew 10, verse 30, uh, the Bible says he even knows how many hairs are on my head. Now, that's something about myself that I don't even know. My point is this. God knows us intimately, and he knows us fully. Nothing about who I am was by coincidence. But beyond that, Jews and Gentiles are discussed at length in the New Testament. God saw Jews, and God saw Gentiles. He loved them both. Jesus would ultimately die for them both. But let's not pretend God wasn't aware that Jews were Jews and Gentiles were Gentiles, because that doesn't seem to be the case. I think God knows my race, and I think God knows my nationality. I think it was all very much intentional, like everything else he's done since the very beginning of time. If I believe that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by God, like it says in Psalm 139 verse 14, and if I believe that I'm God's masterpiece, like it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, why on earth would I assume that God sees everybody exactly the same? Do you think Picasso sees all his pieces of art exactly the same way? 
do you think Michelangelo sees all his pieces of art exactly the same way? Do you think Michael, ja Michael Jackson or Beyonce sees all of their artistry exactly the same way? Probably not. How much more so with God? I would venture to say that with all the intricacy and complexity that is creation, it is a great, great disservice to imply in any way, shape, or form that God doesn't note the unique idiosyncratic differences amongst us, race included. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, a very familiar portion of scripture. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. And behold, I am with you even to the ends of the earth. Amen. When Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, he wasn't just blowing hot air. He meant it. As I mentioned in a previous post, up until the book of Acts, Pentecost to be specific, um, the church was, well, even a little bit after Pentecost, but up until the book of Acts, the church was mostly Jewish. But Jesus' plan was always bigger than that. A Jewish church, a Jewish community. We truly serve a multicultural God, and the bride of Christ is multiracial and multiethnic. I'll highlight with an anecdote. In 2014, I was studying the Bible with a young man from Georgia State University. At the close of our Bible study, I asked him to pray. He was an international student from the Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire, where the official language is French. So when I asked this guy to pray, he prayed to God in French because that was the language that he was most comfortable with. In that moment, him praying in French meant everything to me. An important truth clicked in my mind. God literally understands every single language on the face of the planet. All of them. Every single one. All 6,500 plus languages. No matter what dialect I choose to interact with God, he's going to understand. Now, if none of this mattered to him, we would all speak the same language. The reason we have all these countries and all these languages, one of them anyway, is because in our differences, we all reflect the full beauty and intricacy that is God's creation. Now, yes, there were politics and money involved as well in drawing up country borders, but we're going to have to talk about that another time. Just let's focus on the topic at hand. We're all so different, and yet we all somehow reflect God. Because the Bible says we're made in his image. All of us. All 7.2 billion people around the globe. And all the nationalities and cultures they represent. Now, if we were all the same race, spoke the same language, and had the same color skin, statements in the Bible like, go make disciples of all nations, would be, wouldn't be nearly as meaningful. In fact, that might go as far as to say if we all were the same race, spoke the same language, and had the same color skin, a statement like making disciples of all the nations would be a little bit empty. You might as well just say, hey, go convert every human being. Speaking of French, 
the differences we have in the church advance the kingdom in important ways. While I was in Philly, um, I had a number of friends in the church who had French as their first language, or French or a French derivative, right? Um, and they knew it very, very well, if it wasn't their first language. Um, in a city like Philadelphia, with a large African and Caribbean population, knowing French was a very valuable asset. I would always joke with them, guys, we need a French ministry where we can read the word, sing worship, and testify to the goodness of God all in French. Maybe they thought I was kidding, but I was actually very, very serious about it. Cameroon, Senegal, the Ivory Coast, Togo, Rwanda, Haiti, our French ministry would have consisted of probably 50 people or so from about nine or 10 different nations. It would have been dope. And I think God would have been very pleased. As for me, my French isn't good. And by not good, I mean I don't speak French. Nigeria is not a Francophone country. But you better believe I would be praying for the French ministry and all the people who speak French in our church to be impacting and advancing the gospel. And that's based on the fact that we're different from each other. They have something that I don't, but that can be used to advance the kingdom of God. Now, do you think even for a second, all of that is coincidental? 50 plus people from 10 different nations, all of them African or Caribbean with French or maybe a French derivative as their first language, if not bilingual in a city that has a very, very large black population uh, of African and Caribbean people. I don't think that's a coincidence. You think God didn't know what he was doing when he worked that out? You think when God said, make disciples of all 190 nations, he didn't have something like that in mind? Guys were different. And that's a great thing. It works well for advancing the gospel. Personally, I think this was always God's plan. I don't think his plan was for us to minimize our differences and pretend the church is this homogenous group that uh, this homogenous group of people that are all very similar. You probably can't preach a sermon in French. I can't preach a sermon in French. Maybe you can. I don't know, but I can. Right. Clearly, God does not expect that of me because that's not something that I'm capable of doing. But for somebody who is, somebody who's conversational or fluent in French, I would venture to say maybe he does have an expectation along those lines. I think God knows your nationality and I think he knows your race as well. Somehow, I think these are part of God's awesome plan for you. Here's the thing though, people, as great as all of this is, none of it matters in a mostly homogenous church. The very idea of a French ministry or a Spanish ministry or an Italian ministry or Portuguese ministry or Chinese ministry or Vietnamese ministry means there are people present who don't speak those languages. You would never ever see a French ministry in Senegal. You wanna know why? Because it's Senegal. 
most people, if not everybody there, is going to know French. It would be completely unnecessary. You would never see a French ministry in Togo because it's Togo. Everybody, or most, mostly everybody, is going to know and speak French. It would be completely unnecessary, completely redundant. America finds itself in a unique situation. We literally have people here from all over the world. Literally. America is probably home to people from all 190 countries. And I don't think God is ignorant of that. Because America is so diverse, I think God sees this as a great opportunity from people of different races, different nationalities, different ethnicities, different cultural groups, to worship him under one roof. With all of the division in the world, we actually have the opportunity to show the world what it looks like for people of different races and different backgrounds, different nationalities to come together and love each other in an attempt to be one. In fact, I think America and other countries that experience a similar level of diversity to America are called to lead the way in building multiracial, multicultural congregations. God is looking at the church Sunday morning. I think he's very interested in race. I think it's part of how he sees our heart in taking the gospel to every corner of the world, every nation, every ethnicity, and every race. Now, there are socioeconomic implications, too. In 2011, a study found over 80% of the world's population lived at or below the U.S. poverty line. Now, I've been looking for a more recent study. I've been having difficulty with that. Let me know if you can find one. But let's just assume that numbers remained relatively constant. My intuition is most of that 80% doesn't live in the Western world. If I had a breakdown of that data, which I don't, but if I had a breakdown, a more granular level uh, view of that data, I think it would probably show me a disproportionately large number of that 80% living below the poverty line is from Asia, Africa, Latin America, or the Caribbean. Now, hear what I'm saying, people. Europe has lots of poor people, too. Australia has lots of poor people, too. But Europe and Australia as a whole have a far higher standard of living than most of the rest of the world. And the Bible says to him who much is given, much is required. That's Luke 12, 48. So yes, I think God is very aware of all of that. He has high expectations for people who are given a lot and vice versa. When God is looking at the poor around the world, you don't think he notices any meaningful patterns and who tends to be poor? I think God is brilliant. I think he absolutely notices meaningful patterns. Everything that we can see in our research and in our reports and in our data, he sees all of that and then some. All of that plus even more. Isn't that why the Bible talks about widows and orphans? I think God understood life was hard for everybody during this time period. But this particular group of people, widows and orphans, tends to have 
an ongoing cycle of suffering and poverty. And he wanted to draw attention to that. If I'm a Christian in the wealthiest country in the world, you know, maybe America, and there's a Christian in Malawi, one of the poorest countries in the world, I would venture to say that God probably has higher expectations of me. If I'm a Christian in Europe, as opposed to being a Christian in the Caribbean, I would venture to say that maybe God has higher expectations of me. No, I don't think it's a stretch to say it's a biblical principle. That's the vibe I get when I read uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. I have amenities and luxuries in America that most of the other 7 billion people in the world couldn't even dream of. We could probably say something similar for most of the Western world. We just have a lot of luxuries and resources and amenities. If God is looking at the world that he created, you don't think he's going to be able to connect all of these dots that we're talking about right now? Guys, I think we got to give God a little bit more credit. If you don't believe me about the amenities and luxuries that come with being in America, hop on a plane and go anywhere. There are 190 countries in the world. Pick any country you'd like. In most cases, statistically, whatever country you choose to go to, you are going to experience a lower standard of living. It's going to go down. America is close to the creme de la creme. You can pick any country in the world and go there, and there's a high statistical likelihood that your standard of living is going to drop. This world has plenty of socioeconomic complexities. But I don't think God is ignorant to any of that. So if he knows everything else, tell me again why you think he doesn't see race. It just sounds like a shot in the dark. My opinion is this. To say God doesn't see race just seems fluffy and empty. I think what we mean to say is, God loves everybody, no matter their race, or no matter their ethnicity, or no matter their nationality. But that's not the same as God doesn't see race. Now, I totally get it. Race is a messy topic, and it's really deep. I think we have these unideal church ideals, this one included, to make people feel more comfortable in church. But I stand by my initial position. I think this is damaging, tasteless rhetoric. Now, I think that's truer for unideal number one and unideal number two, but I would put this into that category as well. I think this is damaging and tasteless rhetoric. Now, that serves as a perfect segue because I want to explain what I just said. Why is this an unideal church ideal? I think talking about race makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, and understandably so, myself included, even as a black man. There are a lot of emotional and confused and frustrated people. Now, it could seem like the best way to deal with this is just by getting rid of it entirely. I totally get it, or I think I do anyway, we'll see. I think we can project that and say, I don't wanna deal with this race stuff. So I'm assuming God doesn't wanna get caught up in it either. He probably doesn't even see race because he loves us all equally. Now, if you look at what I wrote, or I guess if you listen to what I just said in this case, there's a breakdown in the logic. 
I am of the school of thought that all of our differences reflect the beauty of God. Now, after all, we're all made in his image, all seven billion people on the face of the planet and the billions of people who came before us were all made in his image. Now, if we're all fairly similar, one big group of homogenous churchgoers, I think that's a lot less interesting of an accomplishment that we're all made in his image. But I think the fact that we're all different, race included, that makes it astonishing that all of us are made in his image and God is reflected in every single human. Who else but God would bring so many different kinds of people together? Why else would the Jew be interacting with the Samaritan? Why else would the Israelites all of a sudden take more interest in the Gentile community? Fast forwarding, today, church pews have black people and white people and Hispanic people and Asian people. I can't help but feel God's plan was always to bring different kinds of people together for the purpose of worshiping him and showing his glory. Certainly, a God who knows us intimately and has been intentional about the order of the universe since day one knows the color of our skin. Beyond that, there was a considerable part of Jesus's ministry that was focused on the harassed and helpless, whether it be the widows, the fatherless, the poor, the lepers, or the like. Life is hard for everyone, but because of how history has transpired and the institutions we've designed to serve humanity, you know, like government and policy and all of those things, there are just certain people who have been living in hardship for centuries. And race does tend to be highly correlated with a lot of these things, like the level of education somebody has, like their level of income, median income, uh, like access to health care, um, access to drinkable water, things of that sort. And that's not an isolated phenomenon. That's true for the US, just like it's true for Canada, just like it's true for Sub-Saharan Africa, just like it's true for the West Indies, just like it's true for Southeast Asia. Again, many of these socioeconomic difficulties are correlated with race. In light of all this, yes, I think God sees race because it manifests in important ways when we observe a hardship in the world around us. But again, I'm open to perspective because I don't think this is a black and white argument. No, t no pun intended. Um, that brings this series to a close, but I appreciate you weighing in. Just some random thoughts. Feedback, welcome.